17, verses 1 through 7. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, encamped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt, to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, as we come to this passage, may the words of my mouth be useful to your people. May they bring you glory and fill the hearts. May your spirit work among us, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. I think it's easy for us to see some patterns in the scriptures when people who are near and dear to God kind of get their eyes off of God and start to do what? Complain. They start to worry. They start to fret. They start to turn on one another. They start to turn on their leaders. It's something that can happen often. How many times did we hear or see the disciples not getting it? Where Jesus says, so you have little faith. Now, again, remember the things that he said, oh, you have little faith. It was like walking on water or feeding multitudes with like one kid's basket lunch. Like maybe they weren't such of little faith. They just didn't see how big the kingdom could be. But then we think about the Israelites. Here they are. In chapter 17 of Exodus, if you read back further, the chapter before, God has already provided them food. This is where they were out in the wilderness and they said, God, are you bringing us out here to kill us? What are we going to eat? And then manna shows up in the morning and quail in the evening. And then you go with the chapter before that, there's the first time that they ran out of water and they did find water, but it was poison water. It was spoiled water. It was sick water. It was water that if they drank it, they would die. It wasn't nourishing. So then what did Moses do? He took that staff. That staff that God had him do so many things with, including striking the Nile and turning it to bad water. He went and took bad water and turned it to good water. And here we have yet another circumstance where the people of Israel are being marched out and around and they're complaining again. And it's easy for us because you know what I just covered is a lot of events in a matter of like just a couple pages when we take in all this story in a matter of a couple of pages, it's easy for us to get kind of a little bit, well, feeling pretty good about ourselves. Oh, how could they complain against the Lord? Don't they remember? 
Don't they remember the plagues that, that broke the heart of Pharaoh so that Pharaoh would let them go, even though they were no army and the Pharaoh had a, the mightiest army of the region? Don't they remember when they were, their backs were against the wall and Pharaoh's army was coming down upon them and, they, and, and the Lord delivered them through the Red Sea? Don't they remember that the Lord has his presence with them by day or by night? Doesn't they rem- don't they remember when God gave them good water? Why would he not give them good water again? It's easy for us to contemplate what's wrong with these people. Well, let's remember. Have you ever been in a position where you were needing water? I'm going to tell you a little story. Uh, despite what you see, there was a period of my life where I was an avid backpacker and rock climber. It was in the 90s. It was many people and moons ago. And my friends, I was down at a, a program in Texas, and they said for spring break, they wanted to come down and pick me up and go to Big Bend National Park. If you've never heard, like, there's, if you think of Texas, there's this like, little point, and it comes down, and it has this little... That right there is Big Bend National Park. It's huge. It's bigger than the state of Rhode Island. It could have two senators if we just portioned it off right. About four people, but two senators. <laughs> and Big Bend National Park, it's the Chisos Mountains, and there's this mountain that was on the top of it, and we were hiking to the top of that. We were going to spend about five days there. And as we prepared, I was all into it. I was all into the preparation. But just to give you a little clue, When I was growing up, I was the kid that said, I'm not sure we should do this, or we're going to get in trouble, or, yeah, I was a lot of fun, wasn't I? We're going to get hurt, guys. And so we're reading the manual. We're reading about this trail that we're going to take. We're going to go up this face. We're going to go take a left, take a right, hike over, get up on the top of the highest peak, which was spectacular. You can Google it, and you can see it without the hike now, by the way. It's really discouraging. But in there, they said, oh, this, you should load up on water here because there may not be water again for the next two days. That's where that, hey, guys, we might get in trouble. Hey, guys, we might get hurt. Hey, guys, what happens if we run out of water? So I packed water. Like you would not believe I packed water. I had a filter, a hand pump, and it took forever. But I pumped up three gallons of water. Now, if you imagine what you're taking for a week's worth of packing, you have your, 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 your tent, you have your sleeping bag, you have your food, you have your change of clothes, you have your extra shoes, you have all that. Now add on three gallons of water. Think of the size and the... Did you know that a gallon of water weighs eight pounds? So an extra 24 pounds of water may not seem like a lot, but now you're going up and up and up, but I was willing because I was afraid. I was afraid of running out of water. They say, they, the, the internet, um, the internet tells me that I can live only three days without water, maybe four at best. But then you put me out in the desert heat, and that cuts me down to two. Then you put, make me exert energy. That puts me at a day, day and a half. Yes, I'm packing three gallons of water. That's what I'm doing. I'm going to make it out there. The Lord will provide because I filled up three gallons and I walked. But they were out there in the wilderness by God's leading. You see, where they went from in Egypt to where they were supposed to go in Israel, the scriptures tell us is an an 11-day hike. It's an 11-day march that God sent them to do in 40 years. 
something about that path seems like Google was a little bit off. Think about where they are at, where they came from. Think about the fact that these people came out of an abusive slave relationship with the pharaohs. They were quarantined to their people. They were forced into forced labor. They were allowed to be beaten. They were allowed to be, to be, they did not have any representation about their work. How are they going to turn on a dime to trusting the Lord? Sure, they saw the wondrous works. Sure, they saw the good things. But how is it for humans to go come out of something negative, out of something historic, out of something painful and bad and abusive? Should we expect that we can just turn that off because now we're in a good place? Ask to anybody who's dealt with the foster care system. You know that you're doing a great work with some kids who may not trust you the entire time they live with you. You know that the work that you're doing is going to be incremental. You know that it's going to be slow and paced. A friend of mine had two boys, and he was able to adopt one of them, and the other he sees every week with the, with the brother. The older boy who was not adopted, he had been so um, neglected and abused in his early childhood, mostly because he would be the one to stand in the gap to protect his little siblings. Think about that. This young man was the one who would jump in and stand in the gap through pain and abuse and probably be marked with that abuse for his entire life on this earth. You see, we have to put ourselves not in the perspective of reading a page. Oh, these silly people complaining again. But look at these people who are wandering, who are lost, who are property, who've now been released, who are going to a promised land. What is a promised land? Boy, I bet it's got milk and honey. I bet it's got really good Soil, and it, I bet it grows really big grapes. I don't know. Like, for some reason, that was what they valued then. I would like a Wawa. <laughs> but that's a little early and a little presumptuous. They're going to the promised land. What is it? Their imaginations are sparked, but, but will they get there? And then for various reasons, now this 11-day trip is going to be 40 years. And where do they go? They follow the Lord. Where do they go? Where the Lord tells them to. Where do they stop? Where the Lord leads them. And now, the first time that God changed them and gave them new water, it was when there was a sick pond. So I can conceptualize, bring out the stick, Moses, got it. Lord, yes, good water, yes. Now we can drink. But now we're in that area of the mountains where there's no more water, where it's all dried up. Okay, where's the sick water you're going to turn and make good? You can see how that might be a little bit harder to conceptualize, right? A little bit harder to wrap our minds around. It's been said to me that the book of Exodus is a picture of discipleship. A picture of being led out of sin and death and into God's kingdom. And in the middle of it is a wandering. In the middle of it is the journeys. In the middle of it is, is, is well, sometimes we turn around and become apostate and worship Golden calves of our own creation. Sometimes we complain against our leaders. Sometimes we don't know where we're going, but we have to learn and trust day by day for God's provision. And if we take too much and we try to hoard it because we get a little too greedy, it'll rot and spoil and smell and it'll be bad. 
If we think through the whole story of Exodus, it might be a picture of what it means to follow Jesus. So I'm going to give us six life lessons from this passage. Six lessons from Exodus 17. Rule number one, when we follow the Lord, the path is never straight. Every month or so, Google sends me a little map of where I've been because apparently I allow it to track me. I mean, if, if somebody really wants to be that interested in me, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of boring. You'll see a lot of trips back and forth to New York. You'll see trips over to Warminster. Now you'll see a bunch of trips down to Kennett Square. And it tracks me. But have you ever seen on like the cartoons when like the Roadrunner was running around, they switch to the map and they show you the map and it's not like it's all convoluted instead of like, I imagine, I would love to see the Google map of God's people in Sinai for 40 years, 11 days worth of hiking. Nope, we're going to just keep going around and around and around and around in a desert. When we follow the Lord, the path is never straight. My dad gave me a map years ago because I was taking a group of fellow high schoolers. I was a high schooler, and I was allowed to drive the high schoolers to camp. And my dad got the atlas out. And kids, that's this huge book that you keep in the back or underneath your car seat. It's, it's talk to your parents. <laughs> and then he would highlight where I was supposed to turn to navigate my way across the state of Florida up into Georgia. Now I just follow the blue line, Right? Now you just punch it in, you follow the blue line, you hit the redirect when it says there's a faster way, but it'll cost you $6. Now you evaluate, is that five minutes time worth $6? But that's what we're doing now. We wish that we could just have, what am I going to do in life? Where am I supposed to go? What am I supposed to study? What do I do after graduation? What, am I supposed to go back to, to school? Am I supposed to go and get a job? Am I supposed to change jobs? Who do I, who do I date? Who do I marry? How do I fix my marriage? How do I raise my kids? What do I do? Where do we live? Why don't we just, God, why don't you just give us the blue line and tell us there's going to be a misdirection. It could cost you 15 minutes of your life if you go this way. Why doesn't God do that? Well, we know why. We don't like it, but we know why. How do we live? By what? I hear the word of God and I hear faith. Yes and yes. We live by faith. When we follow the Lord, the path is never straight. And rule number two is God does not avoid the obstacles. Do you think God could have taken them from oasis to oasis to oasis to oasis? Yes. But God chose them to lead them to a place where they were beyond the three days and there was no water and there was no sick water, there was no pool, there was no nothing. He took them to a place to show that even where there is nothing, I've got you. I'm with you. And you could say, I've got you and I'm with you, but until you experience it, it means very little. That's all the, all the older folks, and you know what it means, how youth is wasted on the young, right? We've all said that. We all know that. I said we because I'm including myself. And some of you are like, going, listen, Sonny. <laughs> and I get it. I'm only starting to understand that, which I have two kids that had a birthday today, and uh, they're twins, five years apart. <laughs> so that's kind of fun for them and, and bad for my wallet. 
But they have no clue what they're getting into yet. And so if I tell them the truth, the Lord is with you always. Yes, Dad. But how about when you're 30 and the Lord is with you always starts to mean something? Or when you're even in your 20s and you're trying to figure out what to do after college. Oh, the Lord is always with you. I'm going to hang on to that. Or in your 50s, the Lord has always been with you and he will remain with you. Yeah, I've seen that. Or in your 70s. Oh, let me tell you the stories, kids. You see, until we experience these things, these obstacles aren't merely just academic things. They have to be lived and lived through. So God never gives us a straight path and he doesn't avoid the obstacles. And no matter how many times we've seen God show up, we have bad memories. Somebody said amen. That's great. I mean, we, yes, it is true, not we celebrate it. Was that the kind of amen? Okay, just, just checking. But, you know, I think about the fact that, like, Peter up on the Mount of Transfiguration, he went with his boys, they were up there, and Peter saw Jesus in that cool, glowing sense of Jesus, and then uh, Moses and Elijah come out, and they're talking, and he says, let's build a hut, because he didn't want to leave. He was up on that spiritual mountaintop experience, and he didn't want to go anywhere else. But Jesus immediately said, get up, we're going back down. You've tasted the mountaintop, but you're not going to stay there. You've tasted what it looks like. You've seen. And that's to encourage you. That's to affirm to you. That's to reassure you. But we got to go back down in the valley. And the first thing they did was cast out a demon-possessed child, demons from a child. The first thing they did was they go back into the sickness and stink and swallow and brought healing and good news to people who were hurting. They didn't stay up secluded away. They went back down into the darkness and brought light. Peter forgot all that experience within just a couple weeks. Because Peter was the one that said, hey, didn't I see you with him? No, not me. Wait, no, that's the guy that's with the, 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 the guy who's arrested. Ah, Jesus, I've never heard of him. Three times, three times Peter had short memory. He just saw that Jesus was glowing with Elijah and Moses And God's voice spoke again and said, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. I guess he did listen to him because Jesus said he would deny him three times, so I guess he was obedient. Not really. That's not the, don't use that text that way. But it's amazing how short our memories can be. After God answers a prayer miraculously and then we hit our next obstacle and we say, did you bring us out here to die? Hmm. Now, the fourth lesson, after the path isn't straight, God doesn't avoid the obstacles, and we have short memories. The fourth lesson is this, and I'm going to speak to anybody who's been an elder, is an elder, or aspires to be a leader in the church. Leaders, you get to go out in front. Everybody was complaining. Everybody was panicked. Everybody was angry. Moses, what are you doing? And they literally thought, like, Moses, why, why did you bring us here? We're holding you responsible. And then Moses says, like, hold that. And he goes to talk to God. God, um, it's getting ugly out here. They want to stone me. I don't know what to do. Can you kind of fix this? 
okay, good. Gather the elders together and all of you walk out in front of the people. What a gut check that is, isn't it? Leaders, we are often called to lead the way in showing how to live lives of faith amidst the chaos of the path, amidst the obstacles, amidst amidst the short-sighted and short memories, amidst the the easily turned anger of, of God's people. We are called to walk out in front. But look what the Lord says there. Go out in front of the people. Verse 5. Take with you some of the elders of Israel. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. And verse 6. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Leaders, we have to go out in front. We don't know how he's going to solve everything. We don't know what he's going to call us to do. We don't know how he's going to show up. We just trust that if he says go, let's go. If he says, walk, let's walk. If he says, strand yourself out on an island, well, let's go to the island. If he says, love, let's love. If he says, welcome, let's walk. Imagine Peter again. He's just my guy, by the way. Peter's my guy because he talks too much and gets himself into trouble. But he was praying one day and he was having a vision And he was hungry, and so he was having a vision about food. Again, I relate to Peter. And then the knock at the door. Uh, We're looking for a guy named Peter. Well, God told me you'd be coming. And he goes, and he sees. He sees that filthy Gentiles are believing in Jesus and being filled with the Spirit of God. That's not, that's, that's not what he understood. Do you know the people back home are going to be upset, just like the people without water? He didn't know what to do with this, but you know what he did? He was called. He was recognized. God said, go. He went. He was preaching. Preaching was interrupted with the moving of the Spirit, and he saw that it was the Spirit, and so all he said was, must be Jesus. And the whole church changed on a dime. The whole of theology changed on a dime. Because the spirit blew and the welcome was out. And friends, we as leaders in the church might be asked to go out in front with some people that are angry behind to welcome in who God calls in. Number five, like I said, there's six, so you can get down you can, if you're keeping notes or if you're checking your watch. God said he's present. He's present with them. If he sends us, he will be with us. Not only with us in that kind of ethereal, metaphysical sense, but he will be present in our midst. He stood in front of them at the rock of Horeb. God was present. I don't know if it was a a pillar of smoke or a pillar of fire. I don't know if it was just merely a presence, a spiritual presence. All I know is he told them, I am with you. And it reminds me of where? Matthew 28, when Jesus says, hey, let's go meet at the hill again. They meet at the hill, and he says, I'm going to leave now, but you need to go back to Jerusalem and wait, because I have a gift for you. Because you're going to go out from Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, and I will be what? With you always. No matter what, friends, 
we can hang on to this. We don't have to know what the twists and turns and what the journey of our physical, temporal life is going to be. We don't know if we're going to be the saints that die in old age and are celebrated with just a few remaining friends or if we're going to be people who are called to go into the midst of, of a crisis. We don't know if we're going to be called short by human standards or just glory God for 90-some for years. It doesn't matter either way. God is with us, and we need to take heart in that and shape our reactions to what we do see by what we know to be true that we don't. When we follow the Lord, the path's never straight. He doesn't avoid the obstacles, and we have short memories. But God gives us leaders who will go out with us and go out in front of us. And he himself will be even more in front of us. So that, number six, every so often, we will witness the truly miraculous. Every so often, that prayer will be answered in a way that blows our mind and, and breaks down the paradigm of how we think the world operates Every so often, we will see them truly miraculous, at least miraculous from our perspective. And we might most likely forget it. But the reality is when we follow God, we get into the moment with the obstacle, and we trust the leaders that God has given us, and we rally together and trust that the Lord is with us, we will see God at work. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. As I wrestled through all the meanings of the different Beatitudes, that was the one that I valued the most because I had to work the hardest to figure out what is he saying there? Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. Friends, let's not have a divided heart. One where we'd say God is in control, but where we try to control it from the back end. One where we say God is present, but we say, hey, where has God been? One where we say, God is real, and he's called me. He's called you. He's called us to be his hands and feet in this instance, and we don't know how it's going to work out. Let us be that and not the people who turn and say, is the Lord among us or not? Let us have deep memories where we etch in these moments where we have encountered the goodness and grace of God, even if it was just a morsel, even if it was just a moment. Let us hang on to that, that it might grow that it might happen again, and it might sustain us till the next time he shows up in a way that seems miraculous to us. Friends, we are all on this journey together. I encourage you, if, if faith in Christ is something that has been your family tradition or something that you heard about as a child or something that you are, have no real clue about, friends, I invite you, jump on this journey. Join in the caravan with us as we just march with God, the God, the creator of the universe, who is going to restore all things, heal all wounds, wipe away every tear, and make us whole. The God who sees out into a crowd and knows you by name. Even those of you who don't confess faith in Jesus, God knows you, and he loves you, because God doesn't. God doesn't hate this world. He loved it so much that he gave his only son. So believe in him and follow him and start tasting and living eternal life together. Amen? Lord, be with us as we seek to follow you. Lord, we know that there are twists and turns in our life that we do not understand. Lord, we know that there are struggles and, op and obstacles that are just painful, sometimes more painful than we think we can bear. 
So, Lord, you said you're present. We ask that you would make your presence known. And, Lord, when we can't see you or feel you or touch you, we confess that we will choose to trust you. We will choose to trust. And, Lord, I pray that those in our family and in our reaches and our neighbors will also see this life that we live following you and that through it they might see that Jesus is real, that Jesus is Lord, and that he is present among us all. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.